0: Gracious Lord, we pray that you would teach us your rhythms of grace, you would help us to grow, that you would help us to know, experience, and share your love in the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, again, welcome. Uh, Glad that you are with us this morning, and um, I hope you had a great Labor Day and got to do something fun and really enjoyed taking some time off. I want to start with something that I think uh, possibly the whole story bit of it could be surprising to you. In the uh, world, there is a group that has done a study just a couple years ago in 2018, the Global Wellness Institute, who studied, uh, they're, they're a nonprofit devoted to studying proactive wellness kinds of things and preventative care kinds of things. And they came out and said that the United States spends more money than any other country on our physical activities. We spend $264 billion a year on physical activity related things. And within each segment underneath that, we have the record in each of these. So like just thinking about some of these different things, we spend 37 billion on fitness classes, 58 billion on sports and recreation. We spend 117 billion on apparel, On athletic apparel and footwear 37 billion on equipment and supplies 10 billion on yoga and other mindful movement kind of stuff and then like another 8 billion on related kinds of technology so we we spend all this money all this stuff that we do but then meanwhile turn around and think about the academic journal the lancet says that americans are 143rd in the world in what we actually do with our physical activity. So in other words, we spend all this money, but it doesn't really line up with what we do. We're 143rd in the world. And apparently, 40% of Americans don't make the, um, the quota that we're allegedly supposed to make of doing 150 minutes of moderate exercise a week or 75 minutes of intense exercise each week. We don't do that And the question that I have today, in part, is is, we're going to be starting a sermon series I'm going to talk about, but I wonder if discipleship is the same way. Is it this topic that we hear a lot about, we see it at the church, we know about it, we buy the paraphernalia, but do we engage it? That's really a deep question that I want to ask you and ask myself and ask all of us as we start a new sermon series. Today we're starting this new sermon series that we're doing in both 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock with different sermons in both of them. But we're going to spend seven weeks today and six more sermons talking about discipleship. And what I'd like to do today is an introduction to it and kind of ask the questions, what is it? What's involved with it? How do we engage it? Those are kind of the things I want to do today, and kind of tee things up a little bit. And I guess the beginning question is, what is discipleship? What are we talking about? And we got to be upfront when we begin to talk about discipleship because it's a kind of a weird word. If you were to go look in the Bible, you will find it appearing there zero times. It's not in the Bible. In fact, I've discovered it in the last few weeks. If you go look at a lot, many dictionaries, it's not even in the dictionary. The word discipleship is such. But the word disciple is, the word disciple is in the Bible, and you will find it in the dictionaries. And you start thinking about probably the most famous um, place where discipleship or disciple is mentioned is at the very last chapter of Matthew. You get to Matthew 28, where Jesus tells his followers, go, go, therefore, and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And here, here, I think he's kind of saying what it means, because right after that, he, fo- he follows it with a sentence, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So we, we get this idea that a disciple is this um, committed, devoted follower. But even that word, disciple, is kind of rare in a lot of ways in the bible because like in the, at least in the new testament it only appears in the gospels and in the book of acts when we start to look back at sort of the ancient times the word will mean that it's somebody who's devoted to following their teacher to to learn from them right but it would be a mistake if you hear that and you think oh okay So, all right, so just a synonym of of, of disciple just means student. Well, that's not exactly right either, because what we're talking about in ancient terms and in this is that a disciple is committed to both the teaching of the teacher or the rabbi and also their life, the way they live it. It's not just their knowledge, it's how they live. It's both of these things together. And for many of us, when we use the word disciple, again, there's, how do we use it? Like, how does it practically get used? One way that it gets used is to, is to talk about our own journeys. So we'll talk about our own discipleship journey. How we're learning. How we're trusting God. How we're walking. That's one way it gets used. The other way it gets used is when you're helping somebody on this. You're discipling somebody. You're helping them to learn and trust and all these things. There's lots of ways it gets used when we think about I want to give you two more definitions and that I'm going to latch onto and, and sort of unpack and use a little bit today. The one I'm going to use primarily comes from a modern day um, biblical scholar um, who, who talks about this. He says, what discipleship means is that you're helping people to learn how to think and feel and act like a Christian. To think feel, and act like a Christian. Or um, the scholar, Dr. Jenny McGill, she defines it this way. She says, well, discipleship is a fancy word to mean how you mature in Christ, how Christ is formed in you, your thoughts, your actions, and your life. I think of it as this lifelong journey journey of following and trying to learn the rhythms of grace and growth that Jesus brings. That's how that I sort of look at it. So when we talk about what it is, those are some of the thoughts that I think should float around. And I'm going to particularly focus in as we go along today on this, uh, this definition that it's about what we think and we feel and how we act. But we start to think, okay, well, that's what it is. Then kind of what, what does it involve? Like, what, what is it? And when we start to think about that, I want to think about um, for a second about St. Paul and just think about some of the teaching St. Paul gives out there on these kinds of topics at the very start of St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in chapter three, he says this to the Corinthians. He says, well, I fed you with milk, not solid food. For you were not ready for solid food. Even now you're still not ready. And, Part of what's behind what Paul is saying there is that our journey as a disciple is one of progression. Ebbs and flows, okay, but, but it's one of progression. And it's going to be this lifelong process, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, a little bit more. But I want to pause there for a minute and say, okay, if it's this progression, and if it takes place for all of your life, that doesn't mean that we, 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 we cannot talk about a place where we've sort of arrived as a mature Christian. And that's kind of one of the things I wanna challenge you to think about. I don't know, I imagine many people watching today have been Christians for a long time, many years. And I wonder if somebody on your next airplane ride turned to you and said, are you a mature Christian? How you would answer, or how you would feel about that question yourself? What is that? And just because it's lifelong and it never ends and we're meant to keep growing, doesn't mean that we we cannot stop and think about a moment when you become a mature Christian. When I was in grad school, one of the times, uh, they made us read the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Steve Covey. I love that book. It had a profound impact on me. Still does to this day. But I remember the second chapter of that book was a chapter that's entitled, um, or the second habit is entitled, Begin with the End in Mind. And part of what he's saying is whenever you're trying to do something, whatever it is, you want to have this vision, this image, this imagination of what it is you're trying to do. And so I'm wondering if we pause here, we're talking about becoming mature Christians and just pause and ask, what does that mature Christian look like? What are we trying to do? I think ultimately, of course, it's, 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 a vision way out there that we're pushing towards. We want to be Christ-like. We want to continue on this journey, always trying to be more Christ-like that will affect every relationship that we have. How do we be more Christ-like? And St. Paul says this in one of his writings where he tells those he's writing to, he says like, imitate me because I'm trying to imitate Christ. That's what we're trying to do as disciples. We're trying to imitate Christ. And, We might pivot here to ask, well, okay, that's the far vision. That's the really one we're. that's the BHAG, you know, that's the one we're really trying to lean into, but what's more practical things to measure and see how we're doing, what we're about? Well, I want to present, I want to give some ideas on that, flawed as they may be. And I want to begin sort of with with an in-game image. And this really came to me in part from a book I read a number of years ago, where they were talking about trying to market to a group. This was in Orange County. And they were trying to market to a group in the Saddleback Valley region there. And they took, they did all this research, all this demographics, did survey work, and they scooped up all this information and were trying to figure out how to use it. And they decided we're gonna distill this down to averages and medians and all this different stuff and try to come up with one person that we can think about. And so they came up with Saddleback Sam, and they knew what, how, what the average age was, what Saddleback Sam's average income was, how long his commute was, you know, all these different factors about the average of the person in that area, is Saddleback Sam. What I'm wondering is if you read Scripture, and if you dwell in the teachings of the church, and all these different writers, could we come up with a disciple, Dan? disciple Dina, who's mature, and think, what does that person look like? So if you're trying to imagine what does a mature Christian look like, and you're trying to put some flesh and blood on it, what does that person look like? And I want to go back now and kind of think about that. I've been thinking about this for years, but go back to this definition of these three different things about talking about thinking and feeling and acting, and do these with Disciple Dina and Disciple Dan. And when we think about this disciple who's mature, what do they think? What do they know? Well, I I think they know their way around the Bible. I think they know this love letter from God. I think they know the story of salvation as it plays out through all these books. They're familiar with these kinds of things. I think that's part of being a mature disciple. I think knowing something about theology, knowing something about um, what the teachings of the church have been, how we take, how we get to this place and how these things work and not to be in any way unkind to any of our evangelical friends who've come from different places. But I'll just tell you straight up. I don't think there is Christianity without the church. You don't get the Bible put together without the church. You don't get the theology and doctrines of, the, of what we believe without the church. All of that history matters. All that theology matters. And so that we've got to learn Bible. We've got to learn something about our theology. We've got to learn something about church history because it's tied up in our theology. That's the reason why we have a whole department, God bless Eric, that's called Christian Formation because it's ongoing. But I wonder if we ever step back to think, have we engaged all that? where we know these kinds of things, right? There's all these different things, and we're going to talk about some of these in various kinds of ways during this sermon series. That's all the thinking part of it. Then we come to the feeling part. What what does a mature Christian feel? And I know, I'm a lifelong Episcopalian. I know firsthand how much we as Episcopalians love to hide in our heads. We love, like, where do I learn? What more can I learn? Like, Oh, I want to be mature. Let me learn more about knowledge. But there's a dimension of this that calls us to feeling and and to something different than our heads. Like, I don't want to say straight emotion, and I'm I'm not just arguing for some kind of emotionalism, but I'm saying it's not just in your head. There's a whole dimension of our heart that God calls us as mature disciples to. I mean, we think about in Matthew 22 and Luke 10 and these different places where Jesus says the greatest commandment is love. God with everything, your neighbor as yourself, includes loving yourself. It's all these things. And we're reminded in 1 John 4 that God is love. And a lot of Christians would describe the whole Christian journey is going further and further and further into the perfect love of the Trinity, the perfect love being exchanged between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our journey is further into that and sharing that as we go in the world. So there's no way to get around, I think, this idea that, yeah, being a mature Christian involves feeling in this other part of us, not just our heads. And I think we're going to talk about it implicitly throughout all of these, but how do we do that? I think part of it is recognizing, again, one of, the, one of our soft spots as Episcopalians is that it does involve a relationship. We, are, we may do set prayers and do all this, but we are talking about a dynamic with a God who communicates with us in various ways and with whom we communicate our own prayers, written prayers, all kinds of different ways, but relationship. And we're reminded that there are, Jesus gives us some hints also about this, about our hearts. He says, look, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. He's telling you in part how to get your heart in this place, right? And I think right along with that feeling part of it is for us as Christians to think about how much God loves us. Like I think about St. Augustine in the fifth century saying, God loves you, or, or God, Actually, I think to be precise, he think he says, God cares about you as if you were the only one he cared about. But that's the, the way he is. And I think part of being a mature Christian is making your core anchor to know you're the beloved of God and that you're held in his love and that we're able in our own brokenness to minister nonetheless with God's love working in us. That's part of hanging out as a mature Christian. But a part of this feeling thing, not to dwell here too long, invites us to go deeper than our heads and invites us to experience. And I'm mindful of how at the start of our country or not long after our country starts, how preachers like Jonathan Edwards would preach on this kind of stuff. And they would say, like one of the analogies he gave is you can have a lot of knowledge and read a lot of things and hear a lot of things about what honey's like but it's a whole different thing when you taste it. Or um, I was thinking about how one of the movie theaters in town, I, you know, the starting back up, or actually this one's been going for a while, um, Striking Real, they're showing Jurassic Park. I almost went out there this weekend to watch it, but I was thinking about in that movie, I think one of the great scenes in there that's sort of a faith thing related to this is this moment with this uh, paleontologist uh, Alan Grant, who has studied dinosaurs his whole life, From all the little artifacts and little things that they learn and all of this comes to this moment where he encounters a living, breathing dinosaur and he drops to his knees just spellbound in awe. And I think there's always a moment for Christians for us like that, if we're willing to taste it, where we go from little bits, oh, that sounds good. I like the sound of that love and this and that and the things that we learn to this moment where we drop to our knees and experience and know that there's a God staring across at us who loves us. A big change. I think all of that feeling part is part of what it means to be a mature Christian. Well, the final part of this sort of definition, we think about our disciple, Dina and Dan, is what they do. And to recognize that if we're going to be mature Christians, it's not just knowledge. It's not just experience and love. It's all of that that takes us out into the world that it's taking on the verb of love. And we've quoted here with all the turmoil of the summer, Micah 6, and talking about what does God require of you, but to walk with your God and to love justice and kindness and pursue all these things with him. It's all of that. That's part of what it means to be a mature Christian, to be a people who pursue peace, who who put love into action that seek justice, that seek love, that seek to serve others. We're going to do a whole sermon on service and talking about that. That's part of what we do. We're going to do a whole sermon on one of the things that you as a disciple will do forever, not just in your life, but forever, and that's worship. We're going to do a whole sermon on part of what it means to be a mature Christian in our spiritual practices Part of what it means to be a mature Christian is to give financially. We're going to do a whole sermon on that. All these different things and all of this, those are the main things I want to hold up for our disciple Dina and disciple Dan. And part of the question I want to um, keep bringing back to you through this series is where are you in this process? Are you going to hold yourself out as a mature Christian? Where are you on the, all these things? And I'm not saying it in any kind of judgmental way, I'm just saying, what do we as a community think and where are we? And um, I want to do two final things with this sermon. One is to ask how we do it. Just as a reminder, this is not an overnight thing. It's a process. It's a process and it starts with a commitment to follow our master, our teacher, our rabbi, our Lord. And we keep going to that place and he keeps leading us by his Holy Spirit on and on deeper and deeper into this path. And it'll be worth it. And lots of good things take time to get there, right? I was reading recently about the whole process of, don't ask me why, but I was reading about this, um, what it takes to make maple syrup. It costs more for a reason, but I don't know if you guys know like everything that goes into this, right? Like they follow, like the original way it was made is with Native American techniques. But they go out to the, like on a, one person on a day will go to 50 trees with these spiles, I think they're called, and will drain 50 trees. And if they're lucky, they'll get somewhere between 30 to 50 gallons of the sap. And then they'll go boil that down. It doesn't taste good when it's just the sap. And This long, day-long process of boiling it down 30 to 50 gallons ends up being 1 gallon of syrup, but it ends up sweet. That's a kind of long-term process that I think we're talking about is God makes us sweet in the world through discipleship. And I think when we hear Jesus in Matthew 28 talk about what a disciple is, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son and Spirit and teach them all the things that I've commanded you. That's a lifelong process. That's the charge we all have to learn that and to teach that and to be about that. That's what we're engaging in this sermon series. We're going to do 6 more sermons after this where that's what we're going to look at. My question to you is have you been in the same place for years? Do you want to change? Are you willing to make a step? And even if you're already even if you're already mature in your faith and in, as a disciple are you willing to take the next step? Because I think as we continue to do that, wherever we are, the deeper we go into it, we're gonna find a deeper level of joy, a deeper um, place with God. And I want to leave you with two quotes to think about on that. The first one is from Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who is he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. So if you're doing a sermon series on discipleship, I had to go back and look at it just a little bit. But if you know him, he was a profound believer and theologian who ultimately, even though he was originally safe, went back to Nazi Germany because he had to go back and he ultimately lost his life in a a concentration camp. But as he wrote this book about discipleship, he talks about what it means and where it leads. And this is part of what he says. He says, if we answer the call to discipleship, where will it lead us? What decisions and partings will it demand? To answer this question, we shall have to go to him, for only he knows the answer. Only Jesus Christ, who bids us to follow him, knows the journey's end. But we do know that it will be a road of boundless mercy. Discipleship means joy, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. And the final thing I want to read today is something that came up a couple weeks ago. We were looking um, back at the time at Matthew 11 and Jesus saying, come and take my yoke and all this. But Jesus today and always is making an invitation for us to come and learn his rhythms of grace. And I'm going to leave you with a passage that was from that, Matthew 11. This is from the message. Jesus says this to you. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That's the invitation. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us. You love us, and you call us, and you meet us wherever we are. And on this day, we also thank you that you don't just leave us there, but you call us on a journey to go deeper with you, to learn more about love, and to work for your purposes and your kingdom to be your instruments, and in that to find meaning and hope and love and joy. As we start this sermon series, we ask you to bless each of us on the journey, that you would bless each person who speaks. May this be a time of bringing us to a new place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.